Welcome, everybody, to episode 38 of the Metabilis 2 podcast, which, as ever, features me, Ben. And David. And we are delighted this evening to be able to talk about episode one of season 10 of Doctor Who, which was broadcast last night. Yes. The pilot the of pilot. series 10, first episode. Yes. <laughs> what did we think? Well, do you want to take a first whack at the impressions? I liked it. Yeah? I thought it was okay. Yeah. I very much enjoyed the the university uh, setting. Mm-hmm. I like Bill. Yeah. Seems like she's going to be a good companion. Um, mm-hmm. a nice piece of acting. Um, some relatively restrained script work. And it's just so good. I mean, everyone knows you know, about the Clara hate around here. Um, and it's, it's just nice to have just a regular, normal-ish person, you know, as a companion with no kind of crazy mystery or backstory or <laughs> lunacy. I mean, even the, I mean, I'm, I'm diving straight in now, you know, even when she uh, finds the box of uh, pictures of her mother's all of a sudden, and, you know, and then she looks carefully at one of the pictures and there's the doctor in the background. And you realize with just a feeling of joy that this is just a simple thing that the doctor has gone back in time and he's taken pictures um, of her mother and this is his Christmas present to her because Mm -hmm. she gave him a Christmas present and he he forgot. If this had been Clara, if this had been like a previous series, um, a previous season, there would have been some huge mystery that we would have to have solved and blah, blah, blah. But it's just kind of a simple gesture. Um, So, yeah, so that worked really well for me. Okay. Uh, Nadol. I'm going to. I'm going to use the the proper pronunciation. His name is Nadol. Um, not so happy with Nadol. Um, hmm. Is he an android? Uh, could be. He's certainly suggestive of that. He's dropping things on the floor. Um, he really in this episode was the supplier of the funny one-liners um, to take <laughs> us out of the action for a second. Even down to the fact that apparently. Um, Bill was, you know, desperate to use uh, the the smallest room in the TARDIS um, in the TARDIS <laughs> when she came in, um, and then she just decided not to after Nardole had delivered a one-liner about giving it a few minutes. So yeah, so I I'd, yeah, I hope he isn't just going to be the kind of you know the one-liner deliverer, and that he's got some there's something more interesting going on with him because obviously he's been with the Doctor for a while. Mm-hmm. I mean, seventy years. Possibly. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, so those are those are some immediate reactions. Good to have Susan back in the mix. Um, I have read <laughs> on the internet today that there are fan theories that maybe Bill is the reincarnation of Susan, mm. um, or not. You know, the the re- a regenerated Susan who is having to be mm. kind of taught how to be a time lord because she's in some way forgotten. Mm. That might be nice, um, but um, you know, it could be just the Doctor's just got a picture of his wife and his granddaughter on his on his desk i mean and why shouldn't he along with his jam jar of um, old sonics <laughs> yes well for me it reminded me a lot of rose i think this is stephen moffat's pure reboot that's what he was certainly trying for yep. with the pilot but this really reminded me of rose it was a companion focused not a plot or mystery focused story and it was really geared to getting into what makes Bill tick, what type of person she is, and why she and the Doctor become traveling companions. Right, right. It also sets up the series arc with 
that mysterious door to the vault in the basement of the university. And Nardle certainly is the uh, one line, you know, delivering the quitty line. But Moffat is writing him almost in a way to send up or uh, subvert the type of writing that Moffat has done in the previous series that he's been showrunner in. And just write right outside the vault when uh, Heather, the watery, watery woman, was... uh, uh, Let's just call her uh, that water woman. That's uh, what she is. Yeah. The doctor says, gives a zinger about students uh, mesmerized by puddles yeah. or hanging out in puddles. Yeah. And then Nardole goes, oh, banter. This is good. You go again, you know, looking at Bill. And the banter has been a hallmark of Moffat's writing. That's true. Uh, since he became showrunner with the back and forth between Amy and the doctor, River and the doctor, Rory and Amy, Clara and the doctor. And Bill isn't one to engage in banter. That's not her character. So I think it's Moffat. I see a more, at least in this one episode, and that's all we have to go on in series 10, I see a much more relaxed Stephen Moffat without someone who who's already proved what he wants to prove, and he's relaxed. And the writing, I think, was a lot more fresh yeah. and a lot less uh, forced. Even though there's lots of kisses to the past, a lot of continuity snuck in there at the edges, it still seemed fresh it really really reminded me of 2017's version of rose yeah and you know if if this vault is going to be some kind of story arc why has the doctor been at st luke's university for 70 years um Mm -hmm. it's a really simple story arc um right it's not you know this is my wife she's possibly my girlfriend i meet her backwards Mm -hmm. um it's it's the silence have lured me to a lake mm-hmm. using someone in a in an astronaut suit. Blah blah, blah. all that crazy mm-hmm. stuff, which uh, I I think a lot of people have found really off putting in Moffat's tenure, mm-hmm. and has also um, I think caused him him problems in terms of him setting up major mysteries that then he is actually unable to resolve. Um, I mean, a vault is a pretty simple mystery. There's something in it. Um, mm-hmm. What is it? It's some kind of secret. You know, maybe it's the hand of Omega. Um, who knows? <laughs> well, it could be. That'd be a very McCoy era type thing. Exactly. The doctor does explain when Bill asks what's inside the vault. He says something I don't want anyone getting too curious about. And of course, the audience being now what's in the vault. Now what's in the vault. And, yeah. And so it, it certainly seems like Moffat is setting that up to be the season arc. Yeah. What's in the vault? What's the vault thing? Uh, there was probably one letdown, but we kind of knew it was coming that the Movellans would just be a cameo, much like in the beginning of A Good Man Goes to War with the, the Cybermen. They're, yeah. they're just there to provide a little, to provide a foe for the Daleks to be fighting. Yeah, yeah, because I mean the Daleks, I mean the Daleks could be fighting humans. I mean it's what they're, mm-hmm. what, it's what they're usually fighting. Or um, mechanoids. Or mechanoids. <laughs> uh, mechanoids would have been more expensive. Um, I, I, you know, of course I'm going to say this. I would have liked. A, I mean, maybe, hopefully there'll be a DVD. Do people even have DVD extras anymore? I don't know. There's, um, you know, I, I'd love just to have a, a, a disco robot, an outer space disco robot person, just walk on mm-hmm. and just say a couple of lines uh, right. they, they were a little bit too much in the background for me i mean it's so great to have, right. have them back um mm-hmm. uh, and 
in Moffat's script, they didn't even warrant a name check. The doctor said it's not even important who they are. It's who is important is who they're yeah, fighting. Yeah, I, 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 again, I think I read somewhere some some interview with Moffat saying that the, you know the inclusion of TV's outer space disco robot people uh, was uh, the suggestion of Mark Gettis, um, who who <laughs> who uh, was you know Moffat said, well you know right. they were they were talking about the script and Moffat said, well I mean, right. who should the Daleks be fighting? And Mark said. Maybe it should be the Mavellans, um, and lo and behold, it can be. You know, very, very yeah. easily because it's not a right. very expensive costume. But it's, you know, it's great, and I, I, I appreciate their inclusion. I'm, I'm very mm-hmm. grateful for it. Well, they even cut corners on the Mavellan costume. Instead of having them wear spandex on the bottom half, they look like they're in sweatpants. So oh. it was kind of a cut-rate Mavellan troop. <laughs> right, right. The kind of cheap Mavellans. It's like a, it's like a Mavellan cover band. <laughs> So it's ra- rather than rather than actual Boney M, it was like a Boney M cover band from the nineties. And it was kind of uh, on a different note. It was kind of neat to see the out of order sign, uh, something that we saw right. when the Doctor parked the TARDIS out in London in the War Machines. He had an out of order sign, and before he started operating the TARDIS, when Watery Heather was. Uh, attacking or uh, you know f- trying to follow them into the TARDIS, he quickly pulled it off the door. That was kind of a funny, tri- funny touch. Yeah, so yeah. There, there's kisses like that. There's one thing that I did notice on my second watch through mm. on the staircase going down into the uh, basement area where the vault was. Yeah. There's the Mary Celeste, a, a plate sign with Mary Celeste on there, and I'm wondering if that is any clue or just bric-a-brac for set dressing. That It seemed to Weird. be placed there very prominently. Interesting. I didn't see that. I'll have to, mm-hmm. I'll have to take another look. Yeah, it's on the staircase leading up from the vault basement. And the other thing is, the first thing that Bill sees in that basement it isn't the door with the vault. It almost looks like a Hydroflax cyborg chassis if it had been stripped down huh. with the big flywheel or a big wheel in front of it just at kind of the end of the staircase. And I'm wondering if that was, again, set dressing that we were supposed to, or was it a clue right. that we were supposed to see? I didn't see the Marie Celeste sign. I, I, I put the robot torso whatever it was down a set dressing it's like right. you know the doctor's got a basement of things that he's working on um clutter yeah right. he's he's working on a robot for some reason mm-hmm. or like a chassis of, of some kind i think it was pretty clear at least in the very first part of the pilot that nardole is an android of some sort he comes in creaking has a motor sound when he raises his arm he drops a, a some kind of socket or connecting part i think think there's pretty strong evidence that Nardole is cybernetic or a cyborg of some part. Some kind, yeah, which is, you know, unusual for the Doctor. He doesn't really mm-hmm. work with um, kind of humanoid robots that much. Yep. But, um, not since the chameleon. Not since the, not since the late, unlamented <laughs> chameleon. So, yeah, that's kind of interesting. What did you think of Bill's description of the Doctor running with, uh, I think, a penguin with a flame coming out of his arse? Yeah, um, <laughs> very good. Um, a good use of the word arse. Um, they wouldn't have used arse on... On, on, on in, in classic Hugh because it's kind of a rude mm-hmm. word um, right but yeah he, he does run in a funny way um, but <laughs> doctor's response was ergonomics ergonomics <laughs> there you go uh, the uh, I uh, I felt let down by the music that was one of oh, my niggles really yeah mm-hmm. I really felt that the music I know it's it's currently fashionable amongst fans to really kind of you know criticize Murray Gold as much as possible um, mm. here I actually think it's warranted I felt there was too much 
you know, and again, you know, this is this is storytelling at an accelerated pace, and we all know that mm-hmm. that's how current who functions. But yes. um, the music told us what emotion that we should be having before that, before we knew that emotion was hmm. supposed to be present. It, I think it's a lot more effective if the you know the acting uh, gives us the emotion, and then the music um, helps us to uh, int- intensify that. So too intrusive. I thought the music was really good and a great step away from what Murray Gold has been doing with the heavy synths and the heavy orchestrations. I really liked Bill's theme with the jazzy kind of beat at the beginning. I think that's a we're going to hear quite a bit of that. Um, it was interesting that when Bill is asking the doctor not to wipe her memory and then saying, "What? How do just remember how this? How would you feel, or how would you feel if something like yeah. that?" When we get a touch back to the Clara's theme, Clara's theme. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is less Murray Gold deciding what song. Murray Gold ultimately does not decide in the sound mix. It's the director. That is and true. I, no, it's the director and the showrunner are mixing things up or taking things right. up or taking things down. That is true. I think this is the, a directorial choice for a relatively fast-paced, very loose in plot. Very, you, you can tell the plot. There's not much to the plot. There's not really a bad foe. Heather, watery Heather, the, the who becomes the pilot, isn't really a baddie. Um, this is about a crush and a promise, and the pilot Heather needed to be released from her promise to Bill to stop pursuing. And they kind of made it a little scary with the screaming. And there's a question: Is is Heather dead or is she not? I think it was a directorial choice due to a relatively lightweight plotted script Mm -hmm. that focused on character to, okay, can we use the music to signal an emotion? Can we use the music to signal a mood? Can we use music to kind of emphasize or fill in the gaps in the script? And the script was much longer, obviously, because we had the scene in the FA Cup where uh, Bill was debuted. That scene was considerably cut down, right? Just to almost a line. It was like three minutes, and it was cut down to about thirty seconds. So there was Moffat probably had a lot more material in this script, and the running time was, I think, about fifty minutes. And even then, it seemed bare bones. And if they were going to cut anything, they were going to cut plot detail or plot explanation rather than character detail or setting up who Bill is. Yeah, and I think it's possible that the the kind of relatively relative sparseness of the of the action made me notice the music more than I possibly have mm-hmm. done in the past mm-hmm. where I've been so concentrated like trying to work out what the hell's going on right um that I'm actually, you know, I'm kind of ignoring the music. I I I mm-hmm. I, th- I thought the kind of the jaunty the jaunty Bill theme just was a little bit too high in the mix for me. Mm, um, okay. One thing that did pop into my head that was kind of, you know, a pleasant resonance for me is that the university, the kind of college setting, um, mm-hmm. as well as kind of, you know, uh, calling back a little bit to Sharda with the doctor, uh, with Bill and, you know, Bill's friends and the kind of lecture room. Um, I was actually getting quite a pleasant Buffy vibe from the whole thing um <laughs> okay as uh, you know this is you know the the later seasons of buffy which is set in uh the the whatever the college is at sunny uh, in, in uh, sunnydale um uh, which you know which i think is and obviously you know buffy's been a a, a huge touchstone certainly for the rtd era um, right. of how to do who and that was that was kind of pleasurable for me to have that 
mm-hmm. that kind of resonance. Now, you had predicted that this was a red brick university. Would this qualify for the type of red brick university that you're thinking of? Or yeah, I think it, I th- well, I, th- I think it would. I mean, obviously, there, there is no St. Luke's University in Bristol. <laughs> I mean, there is a University of Bristol. Uh, I mean, I think it was interesting that obviously, you know, the setting, which I, 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 I didn't recognize whether this is Cardiff or whether they're filming it in Bristol. I don't know. Um, the setting is a um, is an actual university of some kind. Um, the doctor's office was very collegiate and was a lot more kind of Oxbridge style, you know, with the right. stained glass windows. And there was a, you know, obviously it wasn't a real, a real Rembrandt, but I, I guess given the doctor, <laughs> it probably was a real Rembrandt over the mm-hmm. fireplace. Not a good place to put a Rembrandt, but um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure he could just pop back in time and get Rembrandt. Well, his, yeah, his copy one. probably isn't that old either. <laughs> that, that's true. That's true. And it has, it has, this is a fake written underneath it as well, of course. Um, it was interesting, you know, this, that scene that did take place in his university office, but the scene where he decides to invite Bill along as his assistant or companion. Uh, for, first off, it seems, I think this is more Moffat than anyone, but Moffat seems to be a little bit obsessed with wiping people's memories. Mm-hmm. This is something new for the doctor. I mean, the the first companions to have their memories wiped were Zoe and Jamie, right? And but that was done by the Time Lords. Yes, by by yes. as part of his punishment, they would forget all but their first story with them. But then now with Donna and with Clara, yeah, and now with Bill, this is. You know, the, I guess I guess the wiping of memories was uh, first started with RTD, right? With with Donna, yeah. And then uh, Moffat has always been trying to do RTD's approach, but better. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure, other than a callback to Clara and what had happened in the previous series, series nine, with the Doctor forgetting Clara. Why? Why? Why is he trying to wipe Bill's memory? That just seems so out of character. Yeah, and that—that that was actually something that did irritate me at the end a little bit. Um, I mean, I—I I had been kind of assuming. I mean, my kind of <clears throat> analysis of what was going on is that the Doctor, you know, he's been guarding a vault for seventy years. He has an android as a companion who he likes, who enjoys the company mm-hmm. of the android, but it is an android. Um, and you know he's was he's been he's getting itchy feet. Um, he misses having a human companion. Mm-hmm. Um, he obviously has to keep a very low profile on our Earth, otherwise he's going to bump into you know his previous um, you know over seventy years he's going to bump into his previous <laughs> twelve incarnations pretty quickly. Um, right. Along with a bunch especially of, if he hangs out on Earth, <laughs> ex- exactly as a, 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 along with a bunch of other people as well. Um, so, yeah, but he's, he's, it's now 2017, he's getting itchy feet. Um, mm-hmm. you know, he's, he's, he's kind of grooming. I, I, I my understanding is that he was kind of grooming in, in the best possible way, uh, a bill to be a companion. Um, you know, he identified her as someone that, you know, he would like to spend time with. Um, he is teaching her, he's kind of, Everything. he's kind of <laughs> prepping her to be, to be, to be a new companion. I therefore then didn't sort of understand why um, you know they have a, a mild adventure um, through space and time, and then all of a sudden he's like, "Bang, okay, and now I'm going to wipe your memory." Um, right. And then a typical Moffat kind of vault face. Um, 
uh, he, he then just changes his mind and decides that he isn't right. going to wipe a memory, and they will go off and have have it. Well, it w- that was a little bit interesting too because he looks at the picture of Susan and says, "Shut up." Then yeah. he looks at the picture of River and he says, "Shut up." Then the TARDIS does a kind of a a little a preliminary. Oh, like yeah, a preliminary kind of de- dematerialization yeah. noise, yeah. and then doc- the doctor looks around and says, "Will you all p- please just leave me alone? I can't do that anymore. I promise." So, who did he promise? Did he promise himself that he's not going to be traveling with companions, and then, or whomever? But then the next time we see, you know, it's what the hell? Welcome aboard. So that little last bit seemed pretty typical, Moffat confused. Uh, you fill in the blank type writing. Yeah. You know, the kind of, as I said, you know, the Tard is kind of weighing in and saying like, oh, let's go. You should take right. her as a companion. I mean, that that kind of whimsiness is something I, I mean, I don't really care for the TARDIS as some kind of sentient character of some kind. That's something I don't, mm-hmm. I don't really like that much. I'm much more of right. a, a kind of a David Whittaker, Terry Nation, fluid links, and mm-hmm. um, I'm covered with fungus so I can't breathe kind of um tardis uh, person so yeah i yeah anyway so i mean that didn't really work for me so that then the question i was then straight back to original question okay then why is he showing interest in bill is he just kind of bored and wants someone other than nadol um to talk mm-hmm. to i mean he must have a bunch of, i mean he's a professor well I mean, he he I mean, explained he, it yeah. yeah he explained it to bill as she smiled when she didn't understand something while everyone else frowned so that captured his interest yeah who the doctor takes along with him or as a companion is often very subjective or whimsical yeah and you know that as good of reason as any if it is classic moffat then there's going to be some long complicated explanation rather than just yeah why eccleston doctor and rose yeah you know yeah why why bill you know and right. which i think is why you know i'm seeing theories around that you know that she's a right. regenerated susan who's lost her memory or you know blah 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 i just hope she's normal bill <laughs> And normal, normal Bill Potts. Yep. You know, there's also the other arc that maybe, maybe they're going to find or stumble upon Heather sometime during the end of the end of the series. I wonder if that would be something that possibly triggers his regeneration. That the Doctor gives regeneration energy to get Heather out of the pilot, out of the water somehow. Yeah. I'm wondering if Heather has a bigger role because it seemed. Heather seemed to have a crush a lot harder on Bill than vice versa. Bill yeah. liked Heather, but not, you know, at the end when Nardle was saying, that's the doctor for you, he never sees, never notices the tears. Yeah, and Bill yeah. says, you're right, I think that's Heather's, or it's, I don't think it's mine. Yeah. I'm wondering if that sets up another part of the B arc. <laughs> yeah, it could be, could be. Obviously, you know, there was an element of fake out with the, with the puddle. Um, you know, there was, a, there, right. there was a creepy voice. Um, mm-hmm. There was someone looking from deep inside the puddle. Um, right. Again, I would have been happier if the puddle had stayed as a, you know, was a, just a, you know, a piece of, you know, quasi sentient space oil. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's easily explained as something that could right. take someone away to have a creepy voice and someone looking up. Right. Um, and we effectively get something like Star Trek's Q that can travel anywhere instantly through time and space, impervious to Dalek fire. It's something that's 
more powerful, more sophisticated than the doctor is. Than yeah. anything, than, 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 than yeah. the TARDIS. So either, so then it's, then it really, it's, it's one of two things. It's either a simple plot device to kind of introduce Bill right. and, you know, get the whole show moving, or it's mm-hmm. something a lot more important that we're going to come back to right. further down the road, because it is obviously something, it's something mm-hmm. of, of absolute immense power. Um, mm-hmm. uh, in fact, so powerful that we've never really kind of met anything like it before. And any machine or any culture that can afford this stuff to kind of leak out of itself and then just kind of leave it behind is a, a culture or a technology that's, you know, in, even in advance of the Time Lords um, mm-hmm. in terms of technology. Right. So I suspect that it's simply a plotty thing to right. get us moving through the show. Because I think as soon as you think about it, it just becomes something that's um, yeah. uh, too much, mm-hmm. I'd have said. So the last thing, I kind of end on a down note, I, although I did, I ranked this probably the highest opener of all of Moffat's tenure as a showrunner. Really? I think it really does well. It meshed with my desires what to see in Doctor Who in the modern era better than his other season openers. Okay. But the one thing I do really fault him on is he's still doing his same old tricks with shadows are spooky, gas masks, oh. children are spooky, statues are spooky. are spooky. So now it's puddles and water going down your drain or your in your shower that's spooky. Yeah. And it's, uh, give it a rest. <laughs> Come up with a real real monster and we might have a real monster but it's it just seems to me the bag of tricks is yeah coming up empty it's yeah. it gets old it might have worked well with shadows and it might have worked well for statues but yeah. when you puddles i think is a uh puddles it's a thing it's, too far yeah yeah i mean again i mean poking around on the internet today you know people say well you know, maybe this is the water from the waters of mars and it'll mm-hmm. connect us to the ice warriors episode but it's as i said it's just really too powerful i mean it's the water the water thing does it have a name in the waters of mars i can't remember um the water monster in the water of mars is a pretty kind of basic monster um this right. thing is like a some kind of super powerful like time machine right liquid taking over right. people thing mm-hmm. so yeah and again I, that's exactly what i felt about it is low yes you know he's he's finally come down to scraping the barrel with regular things that are scary um you know and, it, and you can do regular things that are scary in a more interesting way i mean you know let's think about maggots and flies you know let's just have <laughs> big ones that's scary yeah. so <laughs> So I'm I'm guessing by your reaction that well both the music and the story it, well working just didn't, wasn't quite as good as as I th- think it was. I, guess. I was I was I actually was comparing it unfavorably to the two part season opener um, for season nine, um, uh, which I really really enjoyed. And okay. you know, it was it was two parts. It was it it mm-hmm. was long. Um, it had Daleks. It had Davros. It had Missy coming back, and I think in a far more effective form. Um, right. uh, it really put Clara through the ringer, which I enjoyed because I didn't like <laughs> Clara at all. In fact, it almost had her killed, which I wish it had done. Uh, so I, I, as, as a kind of rompy Doctor Who thing, I think I enjoyed The Magician's Apprentice and whatever the second part was called. Um, uh, which is familiar. Which is familiar, that's it. More than this one. Right, um, okay. But this is a solid opening piece mm-hmm. for what I hope will be a really great season which will mm-hmm. do which will be Moff, will be moffat and capaldi's last 
last season. Yeah. Moving on to next week. Yep. Um, I am apprehensive world. <laughs> about Wheat World and Cottrell Voice and the and the emoji bots. I'm, right. I'm 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 scared. I'm scared mm-hmm. of that one. But um, we'll see. We'll see how well it uh, follows on with the tone and the characterizations that Moffat set in the first episode of series 10. Yeah. I mean, I didn't see Nadal at all um, in that trailer. No, I think he may be staying behind to watch the vault. It, I oh, think good the vault, point. Yes. I think the vault is going to play a bigger and bigger role and it may tie into why the doctor regenerates at the end of the series. Right. So Nadal, you have to stay behind. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, maybe it's got, you know, maybe it's a watcher vault. Maybe it's got, maybe it's got his next, his next inclination <laughs> um, hidden within it. But yes, Wheat World looks uh, looks Wheat World looks a little bit ominous. Yeah, ominously not very good because yeah, as you know, I mean, I did not like Fran Cockrell in the Forest of the Night. No, yeah. at all. Uh, I it just didn't work in the same completely non-working way that Kill the Moon didn't work, and so I am I'm a- apprehensive. Well, we'll 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 find out in a week. We will find out in a week. It's exciting. It's, it's exciting to have. It's said. It's it's just. I just find it so extraordinary. Um, you know, we have these 12 right. weeks of just kind of intensity. I really wish they'd kind of smear it out slightly longer through the year, but I guess that's where we are. Well, we can we can drag it out with lots of discussion over the next 12 months. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Because, of course, you know, at the end of this, at the end of these 12 weeks, um, we will, we should know that the, of, you know, who is, who, who the new doctor in town is going to be. Potentially, potentially. I, I yeah. still think Chibnall may, may drag that out a little bit. Oh, really? Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, we'll see. We will see. I would if, uh, I was the showrunner. Right. Right. Just drag it on over the summer. So, yeah. Could any be. closing thoughts? Um, closing thoughts. Um, it was, it was a very, it's a nicely judged episode. And as I said, it's, I'm very, very gratified to have a companion who doesn't seem to have a lot of like crappy plot attached to her and it mm. always usually is a her right the companion does not seem to be the plot device in this series and she's just a regular normal person who uh, just happens to be traveling with the doctor at, right le- at so, least we hope so <laughs> at least we hope so yeah and again i hope she i hope she doesn't have to die um at some point mm-hmm. but it's entirely possible that she might all right i would agree okay I really, really did enjoy this one. I have uh, high hopes, high expectations that this may be the Stephen Moffat that I've hoped for <laughs> these past few years. Oh, these past seven years. Excellent. So, right. um, good, good. So, um, we're, we're, we're going to try and try and keep these slightly shorter. Yep. Yeah, excellent. I think our that's go- good. Our Pithy. goal is not to talk longer than the actual running time of the episode. <laughs> that is a that is a very laudable goal. Very very laudable uh, goal. I love it. All right, so thank you for listening to episode thirty eight of the Metabolus Two podcast. I have been David, and I have been Ben, and I'm looking forward to joining you again um, next week when we will be discussing episode two of season ten of our favorite show, Doctor Who. Yep, I think it's, uh, what's it called, Wheat World? We, it is called Wheat World. It is Wheat, wheat World. Attack of the, attack of the gluten glutenites. Ah. <laughs> yes, I don't know, it's like gluten intolerance becomes sentient or something. Ugh, yeah, please let it not be that. The, the attack of the glutinos. The glutinos. 
<laughs> weak world. All right. Um, good stuff. Um, see you all next week. Yep. Bye. Bye. <laughs> wheat world. Wheat world. <laughs>